is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from our podcast discussing the recent article titled Preparing for the Nash Epidemic, a Call for Action. This was endorsed by eight organizations and four specialties as a multidisciplinary approach. In this conversation, endocrinologist and co-author Ken Cousy discusses how the multidisciplinary group organized under the initial leadership of the American Gastroenterological Association. Stephen Harrison shares why it is so important to educate multiple specialties and enroll them in this effort. Tony Villiotti and Andrew Scott had their perspectives from the patient advocate and patient points of view. This article points the way towards a more enlightened view of patient treatment and multidisciplinary cooperation in the future. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. And now back to Roger. Ken, I think I'm just going to ask you to start by talking about how did this initiative come about? And then from there, we'll wind up going to what's in it. Ken Cousy. Well, number one, thanks, Roger, for giving attention to the work we've done with Steve and others. I have to do a minor correction that the initiative really was by the American Gastroenterology Association, and the credit should go to Fasiha Kanwal in Houston. So she's the one who invited me and as an endocrinologist and Jay Shubrook as a primary care doctor saying, hey, we have, our fields are not working together, and this is a complicated disease which belongs to hepatology, but that work working with other fields can maybe cover the full spectrum of the disease, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and so forth. So why don't we try to bring the fields together and see if we can come up with some strategy aimed not so much for hepatologists that have been working hard on this, but more for non-hepatologists that that are interested, but really don't know exactly what to do. We, We said, well, let's put together all the stakeholders in a meeting and let's see what's what's known. This was a year. Uh, we got all together, the 32 professionals, virtually uh, in the midst of COVID. And we talk about natural history of the disease, then how to diagnose and then how to treat it with what we have and talked about future agents. Steve gave a great talk and many others. So we tried to say, this is the state of the art. Let's just, just say, hey, let's send a summary of this to everybody. And let's put this call into non-hepatology journals too. So I invited the president of the ADA, Bob Eckel, president of ACE, which is the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, Sandra Weber. We had representation from the Endocrine Society and Jay Shubrook gathered the primary care societies and as, as well as the liver groups. And we all came up with this white paper that also did an interesting questionnaire among 751 professionals, both from the liver field and endocrine and primary care, showing the gaps that we already uh, that I know Steve knows pretty well because he works across different spectrums of professionals. Right, Steve? I mean, Stephen Harrison. Yeah, absolutely. This was critical to get everybody together and address the issues and begin to formulate some sort of consensus document where we could provide for our folks on the front lines a way to begin to evaluate these people to identify the at-risk patients. It's amazing how, A, little knowledge there is about this when you step away from the the center of uh, the focus. So if you you step away from Ken Cousy and one or two other endocrinologists, you step away from a few key primary care doctors and even maybe a slightly larger number of GI docs, you, you very quickly lose an understanding of how big this problem really is. And so part of this was, hey, identifying what are the key hot button issues in endocrinology and in primary care and in GI 
that seem to be hurdles or areas where we can try to knock those down and reach consensus and get something out there. That was an eye-opener for a lot of us and was really the nightest for putting this document together. Would you agree with that, Ken? Absolutely. The effort was not to repeat what is known from the Liver Society guidelines and so forth. It was more of say, hey, we have a problem. And again, the algorithm proposed is not nothing that's gunpowder. I mean, it's just something that the field has been doing, but not in a systematic manner. And and this is really important because I just came from clinic, a diabetes clinic. Two of the patients that I checked out with, it's a teaching clinic with fellows, both had elevated liver enzymes. One since 2011, as I can see from electronic medical records, the first time we saw him in clinic and we did a fiber scanning clinic and both have reading that's in the range of cirrhosis. So they're going to see the liver doctor. But this person could have been probably diagnosed years ago with more benefit than today, but there are still things we can do. A comment and review from Louise Campbell. We've asked for collaboration between the disciplines for years and we're starting to see that movement. That to me was really good to see those connections. It wasn't rocket science, nothing was unexpected, but the actual fact that these teams are now coming together means that we might break through the glass ceiling of siloed health because siloed health is expensive health and it's not patient-centric. So Tony, how do you, when you hear that, how does that strike you? Tony Viliotti. That strikes me as being right on. From my perspective, someone who's been there on the patient side, that that knowledge gap is really something that affected me. Kind of my dream is that the patient becomes the one who drives the doctor to towards the diagnosis. You know, so that they're more aware of the importance of the liver and what the risk factors are for liver disease. And they approach the doctor and say, hey, I need to be tested for this. Or can we talk about liver disease? Just this morning, I saw something on the internet about an article that was published in Hepatology Community that says only six out of 100 people who have NAFLD know they have it. That's where a lot of my focus is, trying to reach the people like that. And I was one of them. That knowledge gap certainly needs to be eliminated. Yeah, and, and Tony, I'll just add to that. The publication that we had just a couple months ago online on our prevalence paper, looking at asymptomatic people presenting for colon cancer screening, one of the reasons like to be excluded was if you had a history of liver disease. So everybody that signed consent thought their livers were completely healthy, nothing wrong with them. Do a PDFF, 38% of them have fatty liver. And you do a liver biopsy, 14% of them have NASH. And even around 6% had advanced liver disease. So just taking that smallest number, 6% of the people that walked in our door for colon cancer screening had moderate to advanced fibrosis, but thought their livers were completely healthy. Can I expand on that, Steve? That is probably the best paper in the field at this time. We did a very simple study, much simpler, looking just at people with diabetes. And again, if they had had a fiber scan, of course, a biopsy, or told that they had a fatty liver, they were excluded. So these were people we collected, we had more, but at the time when we published 561 patients with diabetes, just coming for the regular checkup, a third to the endocrinologist, another third to family medicine, the last third to general medicine. And again, the fiber scan has its caveats, but plus minus uh, some 20% error, about 15% had moderate to advanced fibrosis. One in six had a degree of liver disease that deserved further evaluation. And even if it was 10% after you did all additional workup, that means you have one in 10 people with near cirrhosis that could be preventable. So no wonder that it's soon to be, it's the most rapidly growing indication for liver transplant 
transplantation and will probably surpass hepatitis C. The, the main point, Roger, is I hope the listeners, wherever they are, patients, doctors, we're all patients in a way, just talk to, the doc, to their physicians about this. First off, Andrew Scott. This is exciting. Obviously, outside of the startling numbers that are still existing, it's exciting to see all the different societies work together. It's one of our recommendations within our U.S. National Action Plan, but more specifically, kind of looking at, we made a very similar request. We used some of the studies that, that Ken has, has led and, and has mentioned, made the request to the United States Preventative Services Task Force with many of the same societies signed on in support, including Tony's National Knowledge and AGA and the Endocrine Society, essentially asking USPSTF to really make the recommendation that patients with diabetes also have a conversation about their risk for NASH. And it is critical that we have that conversation because they are the most at risk and the numbers are, are startling and we need to catch these patients earlier because as Ken mentioned, you know, it, it will be the leading cause of transplant. We want to avoid that if possible. So, you know, I think it's going to require continued studies like this simultaneously happening with other efforts, whether it's on the policy side, sending letters to the right federal agencies, working on Capitol Hill, but it's, you know, we're excited to kind of be a part of this movement and be as helpful as possible. There are really two points that are worthy of discussion as a result of this paper. Number one, in my talking with primary care docs and GI docs, the issue in part is we don't have an approved drug. And so, so for the GI docs, if there's no approved drug, it's lose weight exercise, go back and see your primary care doctor. I really don't have time to manage that. And so the primary care doctor gets frustrated because they send a consult forward after doing this workup and it comes right back to them with the same recommendations they've already told the patient. The second one is we can go and talk to these primary care docs and endocrine docs and cardiologists and OBGYN docs and even podiatrists and tell them this is a problem and this is how you work it up. But there has never been a consensus on how to do that. Some people are using ELF, some people use MRI, some people use FibroScan, some people use Fib4, NAFLD fibrosis score, FibroSure, LiverFast. There's lots of different algorithms out there and they're all fine in their own right. But the nice thing about what we have here in this call to action is a unified way of saying this is what consensus documentation looks like based on the data that's been presented and based on expert opinion and analysis of that data, we've come up with something that's very simple, very pragmatic, and very usable as a frontline tool. And oh, by the way, here's the reference for that if you want to go look at it. And it doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. It's not an absolute. What we do know is that two tests are better than one. And in reducing the indeterminate zone of these tests and improving the precision and the accuracy and the positive predictive value. That's what this, this algorithm gives you, if you will. But at the end of the day, speaking to Tony and patient advocacy, it, 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 it will always help if patients come forward and ask their doctor, tell me about fatty liver disease and force the doc to then have a conversation with the patient. And if they've ignored it or not focused on it, because patients simply haven't asked them about it, now they'll have to go look at it. And oh, by the way, here's a great article just published in multiple journals that gives them that roadmap on how to do it. 
And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about this content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next Wednesday, August 25th, with our guest, Dr. Arun Sanyal, to examine the different issues and opportunities offered by fibroblast growth factors, or FGF agents. FGF21 agents are pointing the way towards an exciting therapeutic future. And I can't imagine two better teachers on this subject than Arun Sanyal and Stephen Harrison. It's an important topic, and we're thrilled to bring this episode to you. I hope you will join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.